0: hey this is eric and you're listening to the story church podcast our podcast features audio from sunday mornings at story church in peru indiana a community on the mission of connecting people's story to god's story if you'd like to connect with us further check out storyperu.com. our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey we think it's okay to laugh in church okay it's good to have a little bit of fun especially when i'm going to give you the bad news which is for the next four weeks, we're gonna talk about money. Yeah, nobody's excited, right? You're clapping, thank you. Uh, no, seriously, I know there's like an elephant in the room anytime, like nobody's like, yeah, sign me up for the money series, that's where I wanna be at. Uh, but like, we really do believe that I think this series will be helpful for you. So uh, two things, at the very beginning, I wanted you to know, uh, if you wanna check out the sermon complaint hotline, <laughs> uh, send all of your thoughts to, no, that, that's not real, that is my real email. And I might read it if you send it to me, but um, in all seriousness, we're doing this series because I think even though it may feel tension filled, even though none of us are like, let's go into a big public place and talk about money management, uh, I think it can be helpful for us. And in fact, we're gonna talk about it uh, for the next few weeks in kind of a unique lens. We're not gonna just talk about money, but we're gonna try and let our money do the talking back to us. Not in like a weird way, but just looking uh, through like a different perspective. Like, isn't it true that typically you're the one who tells your money what to do? Right, you say this much is going to go to groceries, uh, this much is what I pay in my mortgage or my rent, uh, this much I'm going to save, and then you've got like that fun fund where everything else just seems to go to you and you do whatever you want with. Uh, often we're the ones who tell our money what to do, but what do you think your money would say to you if your money could talk to you? What, what do you think your money would have to say? That's the driving question uh, that we're going to kind of approach this topic through over the next few weeks. And uh, again, I want to acknowledge, I know it can be tension filled to talk about money in the church. Uh, one of the big complaints people who are outside of the church often give about the church is that the church just wants my what? Money, right? And, And we've all heard the scandals. We've all seen the craziness that has happened in some churches along the way. And what I want you to know and like rest assured in today is that today there will be no gimmicks, okay? There's not like a surprise offering coming at the end of today's message or anything like that. I didn't come from Fifth Street to here in my private jet, okay? It was a Chevy Equinox, that's like a decade old. So uh, grateful to have it, but we're not talking about money because we're looking for more of it. Uh, But the reason that we wanna talk about it is because I really believe what Pastor Andy Stanley has said before is true. And he said it in this way, that following Jesus will make your life better and it will also make you better at life. That following Jesus is a good thing, that Jesus changes you like we were talking about and singing about earlier, but there actually is a practical side to all of that too that sometimes following Jesus, Jesus taught us in ways that were just practical and and just work regardless of whether you believe in like the resurrection and all that kind of stuff. Jesus offered some principles that actually help us. And, And as it relates to our money, God desires generosity from us, not because he needs something from us, Right? He like, made it all in the first place, if you believe in him. Like, he doesn't need anything from us, but rather he knows what money can do to our hearts. And so he wants us to be generous because of what that cultivates in us along the way. And as it relates to money talking, I think the truth is some of us would probably rather not hear from our money, right? If our money could talk because money might tell you about all the things you've been up to with money. Uh, money might sound a little bit like a disappointed parent right? who's not mad at you, they're just disappointed. Uh, And like, you may be afraid to hear what money has to say because you know the decisions that you've made. You know what your financial world looks like, or at least in general, you're like, it's probably not good if I look under the hood. (laughs) I I don't know what's going on. And if that's you today, like you're in good company. We're glad that you're here. And I think today will be helpful for you. Uh, For others of us, maybe when you think about what money might say to you, it seems like common sense. And I didn't mean to make a pun, but just like It seems obvious. It seems like maybe what a a financial advisor would say to you or or maybe what mama taught you to do, that you should save some, that you should budget, that you should plan, and, and all that kind of stuff along the way. So I think the surprising thing about the next few weeks isn't necessarily going to be what money has to say to us. But what may be surprising to you is to discover that what money might say to you if money could talk is very much in line with the things that Jesus said when he did talk and walked this earth. And you may not know this as it relates to this topic. If you're here and you're upset that we're talking about money in church, uh, I I hate to break it to you, but Jesus talked about money a lot. In fact, Jesus talked about money when he walked this earth more than he talked about heaven. And and sometimes we're tempted to think like Jesus and Christianity and faith, it's all about the eternal and heaven and hell and that kind of stuff. And that's certainly a part of it. But when Jesus walked this earth, he spent more time talking about practical things like money than he did uh, talking about eternal realities like heaven and hell. And in fact, Jesus uh, told about 35 to 38 parables or stories that were intended to illustrate what God's kingdom is like and what it looks like to follow him and how we're supposed to live. Uh, And out of those 30 plus parables, 16 of them all dealt with money or money management or possessions. Over half of the stories that Jesus told to illustrate what the kingdom of God is like had to do with finances or the economy or how to be a good steward or manager of resources. And so Jesus talked about money often. But what also may be surprising to you, uh, particularly because of how some churches and some pastors talk, is although Jesus talked about money often, Jesus never asked for any money. Uh, We don't have any record in scripture of Jesus like taking up an offering or or anything like that. Uh, In fact, the only time Jesus even borrowed money from somebody, uh, there's one illustration he used where he asked somebody if he could hold a coin up and and he taught a point about that coin and it doesn't say so in the text, but we can assume that he gave it back. Uh, Wes, who's running sound today, uh, made a great point today, which is kind of a sidebar, but I think it's worth sharing. He was like, man, can you imagine being that person who like gave the coin to Jesus? If you had heard about Jesus's other miracles, and Jesus takes it, and he, like, makes his illustration, just hands it back to you, and it's still the same coin, and you're like, can you do the fishes and loaves thing with that, man? Like, that, that would be kind of cool. I was like, man, I've never thought about that. That's amazing, but what you'll discover, if you read the accounts of the life of Jesus, and you look at the things that Jesus taught and talked about, when it comes to money and possessions, Jesus really was up to something, and in fact, Jesus really was after something in the way he talked about our resources, but that thing wasn't anybody's money. So we're going to jump in together. And uh, to start things off, I can imagine that if your money could talk and if my money could talk, one thing it would say for sure is this. Money would say, I can add meaning to your life, but I'm not the meaning of life. Right? I can add meaning to your life, but I'm not the meaning of life. I think money, if money could talk, would remind us that money doesn't get a lot of play at funerals. Right? At, at the end, it's not like, we all line up and we look over the bank ledger as we remember a person's life as we celebrate somebody, I think money would remind us that money is a better means than it is an end. Money is a better tool than it is a driving force. And in fact, the reality is, if you and I make money our end, we will likely end up alone and dissatisfied. But at the same time, using money as a means to an end is the only thing that makes money Meaningful. And I'm going to tease that out a little farther because there's a concept or a theme that is really going to guide the rest of our conversation today. And that theme or that idea is simply this it's that being a means to an end is the only thing that makes anything meaningful. Being a means to an end is what makes anything. Meaningful. That's what makes it have meaning. And that maybe sounds kind of circular because when we talk about something being a means to an end, it, it almost has a negative connotation. Like you just used me. I was just a means to an end. But the reality is if you want to live a meaningful life, then you have to become a means to an end. That's not you. In other words, your life has to be bigger than just you. If you want your life to be full and rich of meaning you have to become a means to an end for something that's not you and here's the point as it relates to our money today what we're going to discover together is that if you do that that when you decide to be a means to an end to live a meaningful life then your money will become a means rather than an end as well that that as you decide what you're going to go after in life then your money can be right-sized and appropriately applied in pursuit of that as well. You'll start to view your money and your resources and your net worth and everything as a tool in service of where you want your life to go. And this idea isn't like an Eric McCoy original. Uh, This is actually what Jesus taught in one of his most famous, are you kidding me, did he really say that, kind of confusing parables Uh, That he shared and lucky for us, it was recorded uh, by a doctor named Luke. Uh, Luke in the first century was a doctor who had heard the claims of Jesus and the claims of what Jesus had done. And so he decided to set out and in his own words, he did a thorough investigation of the the account of Jesus' life, he talked to eyewitnesses while they were still there, eyewitnessing, and he recorded what they had observed. And eventually, uh, the early church thought his account of Jesus' life was so important that they preserved it and they passed it around their community. And eventually, it was chaptered, and it was versed, and it was bound. And we know now it we now know it today as the Gospel of Luke or the Book of Luke in our New Testament. And in Luke chapter 16. Jesus uh, starts to tell this story according to Luke. He's got some of his closest followers around and there's groups of people who are wanting to learn from him and then there's another group kind of off in the distance who are listening in but like kind of from far away And, and here's what Jesus started to say. It says, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and he asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. And so the story starts out and there is this rich man, but the rich man had too much to even manage himself. So he hired a manager, a manager who would go and who would buy and sell and trade on his behalf. But eventually this rich man catches wind that the manager uh, was doing some deals on the side that the manager had actually gotten into debt with the rich man's money and he had caused a problem along the way. And so the rich man calls him in and he says, you have to give an account of what you've done. And ultimately the rich man fires the manager. And and so the manager is in this spot where he's got this limited amount of time where he has to wrap up his unfinished business for the rich man. And then he has to put all his things in the cardboard box and walk out of the office, right? Like he, he has this little window of time and he's sitting there thinking like, how do I leverage what time I still have working for this man to make sure that I still have somewhere to go at the end of the day. And here's what he comes up with. The manager says, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. In other words, I know what I can do with the time that I have so that people will still give me a chance on the other side of losing this job. And here's what he does. He called in each one of the master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. And the manager told him, we'll take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450 Then he asked a second man, and how much do you owe my master? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. And the manager told him, we'll take your bill and make it 800 That seems kind of outrageous, right? The guy is already in trouble for making shady deals off to the side. And now with what little time he has left, he gets these guys together and he starts cutting their debt in half. He starts forgiving the debt that they owe his master. And in the first century, people listening to this parable would have thought, this is crazy. I mean, sure, he had the authority to do that. He was the manager of the money after all, but to cut it in half, to be that radical in response, and the implication, we only hear in the text about these two men, but the implication is that the manager continued to do this, which with each one of the people who owed his master anything, he met with them and he cut their debt. He met with them and he forgave their debt. And then the story gets juicier when the master finds out about what the manager has been up to. And at this point, Jesus's audience in his day, they would have assumed that when the master finds out about this, he's going to send that manager to jail or he's going to have him executed, right? He's going to pay for once again, mismanaging his funds. Maybe that's what you assume too, right? You think like, that's not the way to do things, but they would have guessed incorrectly if that's where they thought the story was going, because Jesus is a master storyteller, And Jesus sometimes tells stories that are kind of confusing or kind of upside down to how we would naturally respond to try and get us to pay attention to the point that he's actually trying to make. And so the manager, I'm sorry, the, the master, the rich man, eventually hears about the manager's debt recovery program. And here's what happens. It says the manage the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. See, it seems like he should be in trouble, but he was commended. He was applauded. He was given credit for the way that he acted in that moment. And that feels kind of confusing. So Jesus in this moment kind of pulls out of the story. He backs away from the parable. And then he starts to explain to his audience then, and I think he explains to us now, the point of this story and how it relates to the kingdom of heaven and how it relates to God's economy. And and the point that Jesus starts to make is essentially that God views wealth and money and possessions in a different way than we often naturally view them. Here's what he said. He says, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. When he says the people of this world, he's referring to people who, who live and who believe that this life is basically all they've got. They live like there's no tomorrow because they believe that there's no tomorrow. And he's saying that people, sometimes with that perspective, are more thoughtful and more forward-thinking than people of the light. And, and when he's talking about people of the light, In his specific context, in that moment, he was talking about the people of God, the Jewish people who who had the covenants and the promises of God. For us today, he would be talking about Jesus followers. He's saying sometimes people who who know the promises of God, who who know the character of God, sometimes they're not as thoughtful and, and don't plan ahead as well as people who just assume that this life is all that there is and that nothing else matters. And maybe another way to say this, to get to the point of Jesus' story is this. It's that the money manager was commended for taking full advantage of his limited time and his opportunity. Think about it. He was fired, right? And he had this window of time to close up business, but he had no incentive necessarily to do it. He had lost the job. But when the, man, the master came back, he saw that the manager did everything he could to set right the debt that he had incurred that he had leveraged the limited time that he had, and he had leveraged the opportunity that he had in that moment. And Jesus's point in sharing this with them and sharing it with us is that his followers should do the same with our limited time and with our limited opportunity in front of us. He's saying essentially that we should learn how to leverage our resources, how to use our money and our possessions in a powerful way within the broader framework of eternity. And in fact, he goes on. And the next thing he says, he kind of leans in and he gets more specific. He says it like this. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. That's one of those verses that you can take out of context and it sounds like bad advice. Like use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. That's not always the best way to make a friend. But his point is that we should leverage our temporary wealth We should leverage the limited opportunity that we have in front of us in a way that can actually make an eternal difference. That we can use our temporary things in the little itty bitty slot of time that you and I get on this earth in a way that lasts beyond us. We can use our limited resources in eternal ways. And his point is clear. Jesus is saying about your money and about my money and about your possessions and my possessions, that money is a means. It's a means, it is not the end. In other words, it's a means to an end that can go beyond us. And as Jesus is saying, it can even go beyond our lives into eternal life. And so the implication that Jesus is getting at is that our right now resources, what you have in your hand, what you have in front of you right now, those right now resources can make a forever difference. You can't take it with us, but we can't have something to show for what we did with it. And if Jesus is right, then what that means for you and what that means for me is that we should view 100% of what we have as a means to an end. It's a resource that we can leverage. And so we should ask ourselves this question, how can I leverage more of what I have as a means to an end that's not me? How can I leverage what I've been given, what I have in this limited time as a means to an end that's bigger than me, and I feel like my first encounter with this. I was thinking about it this week. Uh, one of the first times that my wife and I sat down and we like really started budgeting together. We had just been married, and I had just uh, stepped into full-time ministry at this church. And so we were doing what you do when you're just kind of getting started. And we were budgeting, and we were planning, and we were figuring out, hey, what is like life going to look like? How do we slice up the pie? What's it going to mean? And uh, we made a decision to include generosity, intentional generosity and intentional savings as a piece of that plan. And the reason we did that wasn't because I was so spiritually mature and so devoted and so wise or anything like that. The reason that we initially had this conversation is because I was hired on as church staff. And for the first time in my life, I read the employee handbook because I wanted to get it right because I was working for God, right? So I was reading it. And one of the things that it said was that staff members were expected to give a percentage of their income back to the church. And that sounds maybe kind of weird, but essentially the, the heartbeat behind it is we wanted to practice what we preach, right? We take an offering every week, we invite people uh, to be generous. And so we wanna lead the way in generosity as leaders. And, and so for me, I read it and I was like, okay, right? It says, don't do drugs, I'm not gonna do that. So like, I guess we should give the money too. Like, and, and so we, it prompted this conversation where we're like, well, what does that look like for us? Where do we start? What do we want generosity to look like within our family? And I am so grateful that we intentionally decided to start somewhere in fact, I'm so grateful for, for the fruit that this has brought in our life and, and things that will last far beyond us that every time I counsel a, a couple who's going through premarital counseling, getting ready to get married, uh, I always tell them, hey, sit down and have the conversation. Okay, I'm like, I'm, sit down and like, like pick a percentage of what you're gonna give or, or how you're gonna invest in something that's beyond yourself because you know what happens for most of us if we don't sit down and make the plan? It goes somewhere, right? Your money will go somewhere but you can choose to tell it where to go. And, and this is just kind of a sidebar thing, but uh, I've talked to some uh, financial advisors, uh, particularly Christian financial advisors, and, and I think it's fascinating. They've revealed that what they found in working with people is that often, uh, somewhere around like 10% of our money, if we don't have a budget, 10% of your money just goes somewhere at the end of the year. Like, like You've spent it somewhere, but it wasn't deliberate. And I think it's fascinating that that 10% uh, is also this kind of benchmark that Jesus followers have used called the tithe, where often they choose to deliberately invest 10% of their money. And this talk today, it's not about tithing, okay? I think if you want my like short take on it, I think the mandate for generosity in the New Testament goes far beyond 10%, but I'm not asking for that today. My point is that making the choice, you're gonna live on a percentage one way or another, but if you predecide, it can actually set you up to live a life that is more meaningful to let money be a means to an end. And because we did this early, because we had some savings, because we chose to be generous, I mean, we've been able to be a part of some really cool things over the past several years. We've been able to help friends in, in simple moments where they've had need, right? The car broke down and I can't afford it. Well, hey, we'll help buy the part. But that's fun to get to do. It's fun to be in a position where you can do that. Uh, the church that we were a part of uh, would sometimes take some special offerings for specific projects. And, and it was fun for us to actually able to sit down and responsibly say like, hey, we'll be a part of that. We'll be a part of what God is going to do next. Uh, Eventually we bought a home and we were able to buy a home that was big enough for us to kind of grow into, but that also gave us an opportunity when there were some friends in times of need that we could actually like take them in. They could stay with us for a season because we had the plan. We were able to leverage it and we were able to be a part of it. And the way that I would phrase it when I look back is this, by making that choice, we were able to turn stuff Into stories. We were able able to turn stuff into stories. And do you know what I would have spent with all that money that we saved or that we invested in that way? Do you know what I would have bought? Me neither, right? I have no idea. I'm sure it could have gone somewhere. Like, I like things as much as the next guy, but I don't miss the stuff. But the stories that we were able to be a part of, some of them are still so emotional for me. In fact, uh, I was thinking about this. One of those big giving campaigns that the church that I was a part of, um, that we were able to join in on, was this campaign called Beyond. It was around uh, 2015, 2016, I believe, And, and we were a part of that. We prayed about it. We pledged some money. We were a part of this bigger campaign. And do you know what one of the things that came out of that initiative was? The church that I was on staff at at the time, Oak Brook Church, decided that we should plant a campus in Peru, Indiana, and little did I know that I would eventually become the campus pastor of that campus, and little did I know that it would become Northview Church, and then eventually it would become Story Church, and here we are, right? But, but for me, it's so emotional if I stop and I think through the power that I was able to be a part of that from the very beginning, that, that I was able to give that my yes from the very beginning. And so for you, and for me, like we all factor in a lot of things when we make financial decisions, hopefully, You think about it before you buy the boat or whatever it may be. But maybe for you and for me, when we're making financial decisions, another consideration that we can add in is simply this question. Do I want more stuff or do I want more stories? Do I want more stuff or or do I want to be a part of a story that maybe will even last beyond me? Because here's the reminder again. At at funerals, people tell the stories. They don't really show off the stuff because you don't take the stuff with you. The stuff ultimately doesn't last, but they tell the stories of legacy. They tell the stories of influence because the stories are the things that can live beyond you. And that's Jesus's point in all of this. Jesus's point is that money can add meaning to your life, but only when you choose to use it as a means to an end that goes beyond you. That money can add this eternal reality in your life when you choose to leverage it as a means to an end that's beyond you. And then Jesus goes on And he illustrates it in this way. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And as Jesus says this, I wanna be careful in how I describe what I'm about to say, but essentially the point Jesus is getting at is that money is a test. Money is a test. And I'm not saying that like, if you don't give you're going to the bad place. or what, That's not what I'm saying. Uh, I'm saying money, it, it reveals our intentions. It reveals what matters most to us. And like the money manager in Jesus's story, we have a limited amount of time. We have a limited amount of resources. And what we do with that time and what we do with those resources reveals whose kingdom we're ultimately most devoted to. It reveals if we're most devoted into building our kingdom, our book ended kingdom with the beginning and the end and all the stuff we can pack in in between, or if we're devoted to the kingdom that will last beyond us, the kingdom that has always been and will always be. And Jesus goes on and makes this point. He says, And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? We're all good Americans, right? When I talk about money and I say someone else's property, you're kind of like, uh-uh, what's mine is mine, right? (laughs) Like, I got a fence around it. Uh, Like, that's kind of our natural reaction. But the point that Jesus is making, the implication of what Jesus is saying, is that if money could talk, it would agree with him. Because if money could talk, I think money would tell us, I'll still be here when you're gone, right? It'll get redistributed to somebody else probably that nephew you don't like or whatever. Like, like it'll get redistributed along the way. It's that tension between stories and stuff again. I'll still be here long after you're gone. I think money would tell us this, and this is so important. I think money would tell us that the moment you think that you own me, I own you. The moment you think that it's mine and I got to hold on to it with my closed fist as tight as I can, you're actually caught in the trap. The moment you think that you own your money, your money most likely will start To own you because we, just like the money manager in the parable, we are managers, not owners. We're managers of the things that we're given. And I know you worked hard for it. I believe that you're you're careful with it. I believe that you deserve it in some respects, but if you're gonna leave it at the end of the day, then clearly you're managing it. You're managing it for a set amount of time. And I think the question we have to ask is who are you managing it for? Who are you managing it for? And if you're here and you're like, hey, I don't know what I think about this whole Jesus thing, hey, I'm really glad that you're here, but I don't know how to answer the question for you. Like if you're just like, all we've got is this right now and like there's nothing that's gonna last beyond me, I, I don't know how to answer the question. But if you're here, and you're a follower of Jesus, or you're doing your best to try and follow after him, and you believe that there's a God who created the heavens and the earth, and he created people in his image and placed them on this earth to steward and rule over this earth for the amount of time that they have, then God has given you this time and these resources to manage for the time that you have. And Jesus would say, manage it well, and don't get confused. Don't get confused about why you have it. If our money could talk, It might remind us, I'm a means, not an end. I'm a means, not an end. I'm not the thing you should be after. I'm something that you should leverage for something greater than yourself. I think money would tell us, I am a tool and I'm a test. Like I will reveal what's really going on inside. And as we said earlier, money would tell us that I can add meaning to your life, but I am not the meaning of your life. And so if that's all true, for you and for me, right? If we want to manage this well with the time that we've given, where do we start? I think maybe one of the best places we can start as we're just kind of beginning this conversation is with a big question that most people never stop to ask of themselves. It, and it is a question that has nothing and yet everything to do with money. And that question, I would phrase like this that if being a means to an end is what gives your life meaning, then to what ends do you want your life to be a means? I know that's kind of confusing, so I'll say it again. That that if being a means to an end is what gives your life meaning, then to what end do you want your life to be a means? Or in other words, what do you want your life to count for in the end? What do you want your life to have been all about in the end? What do you want to go after that's bigger than just you? What do you want people to celebrate about you in the end? What breaks your heart about this world that you want to be able to say you actually did something about? Like, like, what do you want people to line up for and thank you for in the end when all is said and done? If you don't decide, your appetite will decide for you. If you don't pre-decide where you want it to go and what you want your life to count for, your appetites will decide what your life ends up looking for. And, and like, like parents, grandparents, you get this, right? You, you get the power of investing in someone that's going to outlast you, someone that will be beyond you. You know the power of that. You know that there's nothing like it. If you've ever invested in the life of somebody else, you know the power of choosing to leverage what you have for the benefit of somebody else. And you may be here, and you may not know what you want your life to ultimately count for in the end. I know it's a big question, but I would be willing to bet that you know what you don't want to be true, right? Nobody says, like, I want my life to be about accumulation. I want a big pile of stuff sitting there that somebody else will get when I'm all done. You don't want your life to be about consumption, right? I want to eat it all. <laughs> I don't know, like, y- you don't want that to be true. You don't want it to be like, it was all really amazingly upgraded when I left it all behind forever. Like, that's not what you want your life to be. Like, I was fashionable. I looked really good to the very end. Like that's, uh, None of those things are bad things, okay? They're just not ultimate things. They're just not life-worthy things. They're not the end. Uh, like, your story can be she ate, she drank, she was married, then she died, if you want. But it's not a great story, is it? It's not a great story. But when you answer the big question, what do I want my life to count for? To what end do I want my life to be a means for? When you answer that big question, then your money will follow. Your resources will follow. But until you answer that big question, you may just follow your money. And that's a sad thing to do. You may just chase your money around to the next appetite that it wants to satisfy. Another way to say this is to say it this way. If you live for yourself, then you'll only have yourself to show for yourself along with some stuff for other people to fight over when you're gone. That's kind of harsh, right? But if you choose to just live for yourself, all you'll have to show for yourself is yourself and the stuff that you couldn't take with you. So in preparation for where we're gonna continue this conversation next week, here's what I wanna invite you to consider. If being a means to an end is what gives life meaning, then to what end do I want my life to be a means? like when you identify and you embrace the meaning of your life, then what can happen is your money can become the means that it was intended to be. It can be the tool that was intended to be leveraged for something that goes beyond you. And interestingly enough, as Jesus finishes telling the story and he finishes explaining the teaching, uh, Luke tells us that there was that other group who was nearby. They were at a distance and they were just kind of listening in. And Jesus finishes teaching and then Luke says that the Pharisees, this other group, this group of religious leaders who thought they had it all together. He says the Pharisees who loved money heard all of this and were sneering at Jesus. And do you know what their names were? I don't either. Because they chose to live for themselves and they missed it. And we'll pick it up there next time. So let me pray for us. God, uh, this topic of money, it's like just instantly can get some of our defenses up. It feels very personal. Uh, It can feel very, I don't know, maybe judgmental is the word. If you're like me, sometimes you can feel like you're getting it wrong no matter how hard you try. But God, I pray that today uh, this would be just a helpful drop in the bucket, a different perspective that we could remember that money is not the end goal, that being rich and wealthy is not bad, but it's not the end goal because our lives are meant to be a means to an end that is beyond us. And so God, I pray for my friends here today who if they're honest, uh, they haven't grabbed hold of this. They haven't been deliberate or intentional about this. And I pray that this week they would carve out time to really think, what do I want my life to count for? And in pursuing that bigger thing, that they could discover that their money will follow, that they could appropriately leverage it as a tool to serve an eternal purpose. And God, that as we try to listen and pay attention to what money might say to us, That we would ultimately recognize that we are managers and not owners and that we could steward well the limited time and the limited resources that we have for an eternal purpose we pray and we ask all of that in jesus name everybody said amen hey once again thanks for listening if you live in or near the peru indiana area we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings to find directions service times and information about our environments for kids Visit us at storyperu.com.